0: Hi folks, I want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Curwinsville Christian Church. We are doing a survey through the Old Testament and we are up to the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. And so we've already gone through Ezra in our earlier part of these studies. We are now finishing up the book of Nehemiah today. Next week we'll get into the book of Esther. So our focus today is going to be Nehemiah chapter 11 verse 1 through chapter 13 verse 31. And so what we're going to see in these verses are we're going to see the dedication, that is the dedication of the wall, and the reforms that took place under Nehemiah. So let's let's start moving along with our study today and we're going to get right into it. So the first thing we're going to notice when we come to chapter 11 verse 1 It's going to talk about, again, about Jerusalem and about the people who were there. So the leaders of the people dwelt in Jerusalem. So the leaders of the people, that is, the people who were in administration or rulers, basically of the province of Judah, they dwelt in the capital, which again is still the capital now, Jerusalem. That's where they live. Now, who else dwelt in Jerusalem? Well, here's the interesting thing. The people cast lots so that one out of every ten chosen would dwell in Jerusalem. So they had to have sort of like a a lottery system to determine who would live in Jerusalem. So what they did is they randomly, by casting lots, chose who would live. One out of every ten would live in Jerusalem in Jerusalem. The other nine, the nine that weren't chosen, the other nine would dwell in the other cities and villages of Judah and Benjamin. So everyone else, they basically would live out of the capital, out of Jerusalem, and they would dwell either in the villages or other cities that were in the province of Judah at that time. The writer then, what does he do? He lists the heads of the province who dwelt in Jerusalem. So the writer goes on in chapter 11 and shows you which specific leaders were living in Jerusalem at this time. The writer also lists the priests and the Levite orders that dwelt in Jerusalem. So remember now, the Levites weren't just one tribe. They were divided among their families into certain Levitical orders. And the what we're seeing here is a list of the priests and the Levites who dwelt in Jerusalem. Now, he's going to go on and he's going to record for us some numbers. So the number of priests who worked in the temple was 1,192. So just so you understand, when we talk about the temple, we're not like talking about like our church building here. We're talking about a major complex that was the center of worship for the Jewish people. And it required people to do the labors, the sacrifices. And the number of the priests who were living there, who worked there, was 1,192. Now, the number of Levites who dwelt in Jerusalem was 284. So, of the Levites, there were only 284 in Jerusalem. Now, the number of gatekeepers who dwelt in Jerusalem was 172. Now, gatekeepers, who are those? Those would be the ones who would be responsible for the gates, opening, closing them for the security of the city. So it's telling us that there are 172 of those. So then it tells us that the total number of those who dwelt in Jerusalem, are you ready for this, was 3,000 and 44 people wow think about that here this major capital major city throughout all of its history really only has 3244 people well if you think for a minute so i we our church is located in the borough of currantsville currantsville at this time i think has two thousand four hundred people so at this point in nehemiah's reign as governor there is only 600 people more than what's in Kerwinsville right now isn't that amazing in the capital of Jerusalem but this is what the situation was with their return from the captivity even a hundred years later after their return from the captivity So the rest of the priests and Levites dwelt in the cities and villages of Judah. So not all of the priests and not all of the Levites were in the cities, in the city of Jerusalem. They dwelt in the other cities and villages of Judah and especially Benjamin. So the writer lists those who dwelt in certain villages in Judah and Benjamin. So what follows then is a listing of these villages and who dwelt there throughout Judah and Benjamin. Now, we also see that the writer lists the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. So when Zerubbabel had returned, which was 100 years before this time, there was a list of priests and Levites who went with them, and so this is the listing that is given here in this text. The writer then lists the descendants of the priests and the Levites to that point. So then from that initial group who came, the writer then lists who their descendants were over that next hundred-year period up until the time of Nehemiah. That's what we're seeing here in the text. Now that's going to bring us to uh, chapter 12, okay? So chapter 11 through chapter 12, verse 26, was that major portion with regards to the who was in in the city and so forth we're going to see now the dedication of the wall so when we come to chapter 27 we're going to see that they sought out the Levites from Judah and Benjamin to come to Jerusalem for the dedication so they're getting ready to have a major dedication of the wall dedicated to the Lord and what do they need they need help so how do they do that they get all of the Levites From the province of Judah and and from Benjamin. And they have them return back to Jerusalem for the dedication. Now the Levites were brought so that they could celebrate with singing and instruments. Basically the Levites, many of the Levitical orders were singing orders. Worship orders. And so they would be coming so that there could be the worship of Yahweh. So the priests and the Levites purified themselves, the people, the walls, and the gates. Now what do you mean they purified themselves? Well, they would have to follow through with the ritual, purification rituals, to ensure that they were clean, not ceremonially unclean, but that they were clean, and that the Levites were ceremonially clean, that the people now were ceremonially clean, And that the walls and the gates were now ceremonially clean. And so that's what the priests and the Levites did. So then here's what happens. Nehemiah appointed two large thanksgiving choirs. That were positioned to move along the wall. So what does he do? With these Levites who come. He then makes these two large choirs. Whose purpose is to sing nothing but thanksgiving to the Lord. And he positions them along the wall. Now when I say along the wall, he's not they're not beside the wall, but they're on top of the wall. So one choir was to move in one direction on the wall and the other moved in the other direction. So here they are, they start out at a point, there's two choirs and they go and they walk along the wall, all of the wall, heading in the direction that they're supposed to go in offering thanksgiving and singing praise to God. That's what these choirs were to do. Now, it then goes on and tells us that they meet up at the temple. Why? The two choirs then stood in the temple with Nehemiah and half of the rulers. So they move along the wall, and at some point they all go to the temple. Both choirs are there offering thanksgiving, And Nehemiah, the governor, is there, and half of the rulers are there. It also says that they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced loudly throughout the city. In fact, the scripture tells us that they were so loud that you could hear them a distance away. That's how great the celebration and thanksgiving was at the dedication of the wall. And that's what we're going to see here. Now, we're going to come to chapter 13. And chapter 13, verses 1 to 31, is now going to be focused solely on Nehemiah's reforms. And the first reform is happening on that day of the dedication. The other reforms are going to be at a later period. And I'm going to tell you, what, while they seem to be around the same time, They actually aren't, and the text gives us some hints into that. So let's talk, first of all, about this first reform that we see here, and it has to do with the issue of foreigners. And we're going to see that in verses 1 to 3. So here's what I want you to see. On the day of dedication, they found a prohibition written in the book of the law. What do you mean they found a prohibition? Well, probably on the day of dedication, as was their custom, they would have read from the scrolls, from the law of Moses. And as they're reading from the law of Moses, they found something that they were supposed to not be doing. Okay? So they found another thing that they were forbidden to do. It was written in the law that no Ammonite or Moabite could ever come into the assembly. Now, let me remind you who Ammon and Moab are. Ammon and Moab were their own people groups, but they are the descendants of Lot. Remember, these are the children that Lot had through his own daughters, Ammon and Moab. Well, the law said that no Ammonite and no Moabite could ever come into the assembly of Israel. Why is that? Well, There was, this was because Ammon and Moab did not provide for Israel's needs in the wilderness. They didn't help Israel, their cousin, in the wilderness when Israel was returning back to the land. They refused to help them. And we see that in Numbers and Deuteronomy, that this was taking place. Rather, here's what happened, they hired Balaam, the prophet, to curse Israel, but the Lord turned their curse into a blessing. Remember, it was Balak who hired Balaam, and he wanted Balaam to curse Israel from a distance, and remember Balaam said, I can only say what the Lord wants me to say, and the Lord said, you're not to curse them, you're to bless them, and Balak got really irritated by that. Well, it's because of this that Ammon and Moab were prohibited from being in the assembly of Israel. So upon hearing this, the Jews separated the mixed multitudes from Israel. So what happens here in the first reform, which is happening at this time around the dedication of the walls, they decided to separate themselves from the foreigners and this is significant, but we're going to see it's short-lived. What do you mean, George? Well, here's what happens now. We're going to come to verses 4 through 9, and we're going to see now there's some reforms or some actions taken with regards to the issue of Tobiah the Ammonite. Now, remember. They decided that because of the law of Moses, they had to separate themselves from the Ammonites. But the very next thing you see is in verse 4, not everybody did that. So here's what you see when you come to verse 4. There was a priest who had authority over the temple storerooms and was allied with Tobiah the Ammonite. So here, folks, we've already seen this many times already through the book of Nehemiah. Not all the Jews were in a right place. Some of them were, were in alliance with the enemies of the Jewish people. And here we have a priest who's over the temple storerooms, and he's allied with Tobiah the Ammonite. This priest prepared a large room for Tobiah in the storerooms. Now, let me explain to you what that means, okay? So here's the temple. Remember, the temple... Was set up so that Gentiles could only go to a certain point. Beyond that point, they were not allowed under penalty of death. Then the next was the court of the men, then, the, excuse me, the court of the women, then the court of the men, the court of the priests, and the most holy place. So to go beyond that is to desecrate the temple. Well, in this temple, This priest who's allied with Tobiah, he sets up really, to be honest with you, living quarters for Tobiah the Ammonite whenever Tobiah the Ammonite would visit Jerusalem because he's a governor of his area, so he set it up for him to stay in the temple, which was a no-no, which was completely forbidden, especially in light of what you just saw in the earlier verses at the time of dedication of the wall, that they were to not allow Ammonites to be a part of the assembly. Well, here's what happens. You're saying, when did this take place? Well, The text points out to you that now Nehemiah had returned to the service of Artaxerxes during the 32nd year of his reign. So remember, Artaxerxes I was the one who sent Nehemiah there. Well, at some point towards the end of Artaxerxes I's reign, he has Nehemiah returned for his service. Because there's a relationship between the two. Nehemiah goes back to serve the king. It's during this time when Nehemiah goes back that this priest gives these quarters, this storeroom to to Tobiah the Ammonite. Now, Nehemiah returned to Sushan in 433 BC until he was sent back as governor. So he goes and he serves the king. So there's this period of time between when Nehemiah was first governor and then when he was governor again. Now when would he become governor again? Well after an unrecorded period of time, so we don't know how long he was away, Nehemiah received permission to leave again from Darius II. So now there's a new king, Darius II. Let me kind of explain to you who Darius II is. Darius II was the illegitimate son of Artaxerxes I. Artaxerxes I had a son through a Babylonian concubine. Now, what's a concubine? It's a lesser wife. He's not a legitimate heir to the throne, but an illegitimate heir. So Darius II, who would become Darius II, is an illegitimate son. Now, when Artaxerxes I died... There was some political shenanigans going on between his legitimate sons. So one son then kills the heir to the throne to assume the throne himself. Now that son then, Darius rebels against that son and he assumes the throne and becomes Darius II. Now to be honest with you, Darius II was not a great king in the sense that the Medo-Persian Empire declined greatly at that point more than any other point because all of a sudden there was rebellion throughout the empire in different places. But it's during this time that Nehemiah receives permission to go back. And he goes back to Jerusalem as the governor. Now, when Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, he discovered the evil that this priest had done. So when he gets back, he finds out that this priest had done this, and this was an evil, this was a desecration of the temple. And Nehemiah finds that out. So guess what? This grieved Nehemiah, and he had Tobiah's good thrown out of the temple storerooms. Now, I have to understand, you understand, when you read the text, it's going to tell you that what was stored in the temple storerooms were the offerings and supplies the priesthood and the Levites in their service of the temple. But rather, he takes all that out and he makes it into living quarters for Tobiah. So here comes Nehemiah. He's grieved by this. This is a sin. How could we do this against the living God? He has Tobiah's stuff thrown out, and guess what he does? Nehemiah then had the storerooms cleansed, and the temple articles returned to them. So he has the storerooms cleaned up, cleansed, purified, and has the temple articles returned. That's the reform concerning the issue of Tobiah. Well, now we're going to come to his third reform, and it has to do with the officials in Judah. And it has to do with their neglect in an area. So we're going to see this in verses 10 to 14. So here's what I want you to notice, is that Nehemiah became aware that the portions had not been given to the Levites. Remember, before they made a decision and made a covenant and said that they would tax, take an offering to the support of the temple, well, Nehemiah has become aware that they're not giving that portion to the temple to support the temple and to support the Levites. He's becoming aware that the officials have fallen down on their jobs. This caused the Levites and the singers to return to the fields to the neglect of the temple. So what are they going to do? they got to take care of themselves. they got to feed themselves. So what do they do? They go back to their home areas to tender their fields. And guess what? The worship and the upkeep and the general operation of the temple falls on the wayside. So Nehemiah confronted the rulers and appointed treasurers for the task. So what does he do? He goes and he lays out... The rulers how could you do this you're neglecting how can you do this before the Lord and guess what he appoints treasurers for the task of collecting the funds and distributing the funds for the worship service at the temple well you're also going to see that this is another one of those instances where Nehemiah prays and so Nehemiah prayed that the Lord would remember his service for the temple God, be aware of what I've done for your temple. That's what he's saying here. Well, now we're going to come to some reforms with regards to the issue of the Sabbath. And we're going to see this in verses 15 through 22. So Nehemiah also witnessed the people working on the Sabbath. So when he gets back, he's being aware now that, hey, there are people who are pressing their graves. They're bringing in their burdens, their sheaves. All of it on the Sabbath. Now again, remember, at the dedication of the wall, at the reading of the God's word, they made a covenant with God to keep holy the Sabbath. That is not to do any work, not to do any business. Remember we talked about that last week? Well, here we are. Nehemiah goes away. Things get kind of lax. Guess what they're doing? They're working on the Sabbath. But not just that. He witnessed men from Tyre selling and doing business on the sabbath it's not just that he's seeing the jewish people working he's witnessing men from tire that's foreigners from tire which would be a seafaring people they're doing business what are they doing they're selling fish they're doing business on the sabbath so nehemiah contended with the rulers for profaning the sabbath day he points out to them guys listen Don't you remember it's because we didn't keep holy the Sabbath before that we spent 70 years in captivity? Why are you doing this again? Why are you provoking God? So here's what Nehemiah does as governor. Nehemiah had the gates of the city shut the day before the Sabbath. So he's going to institute the Sabbath on them. So how does he do that? We're going to shut the gates keep people from coming in, doing work, going out to the fields and carrying their burdens, keep the merchants out, okay? He had his servants enforce no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath. So he has his people make sure that nobody is working and bringing in through the gates their work on the Sabbath. The city gates were reopened on the day following the sabbath so on that evening before the sabbath began as the sabbath begins it begins on a on a friday evening the gates would be closed and then when the sabbath ends on the evening of the saturday the gates would then be reopened or whatever the schedule was for reopening them in the day or the night it says that when the gates were closed the merchants camped outside the city until nehemiah warned them so they're out there for a couple of sabbaths and, and and finally, Nehemiah says, look, you need to just go your way. If you don't go your way, I'm going to deal with you. And so the text says they never again came on the Sabbath day to do business. So it's kind of like they knew. We can go do business the other six days there. But on the Sabbath day, there's no why sit out here in the sun camping. So the mer- merchants came no more on the Sabbath after that. No more on the Sabbath after that. Now, how does he enforce this? Well, here's how he enforces it. He enforces it through the Levites. The Levites were given the responsibility to guard the gates on the Sabbath. He just can't trust anyone to do this because they might let Bubba come through with his load or let this merchant come in with a bribe. The Levites were tasked with making sure that the Sabbath was holy and that they would make sure that the gates were closed on the Sabbath. Now that brings us to our final reform that he does, and that's what we're going to find in verses 23 through 31. And again, it has to do with the issue of marriage. It has to do with marriage commitments. And so it tells us in the text that Nehemiah saw Jewish men who were married to women from Moab, Ammon, and Ashdod. Remember Ashdod? That's one of the Philistine cities. So he's seeing these Jewish men who have intermarried. So again, remember, at the dedication, when they made a covenant, they said they would not give their daughters to foreigners, nor would they take the daughters of foreigners to themselves. And here they are after a period of time, who knows how long the time it was, Nehemiah comes back and sees the men are married to women from Moab, Ammon, and Ashdod. But it's not just that. Their children spoke only the language of their mothers and not the language of Judah. He's noticing that half of the kids, they're not speaking the language of Judah at that time. They're speaking what? Moab, Ammon, and maybe the Philistine language. Now this royally irks Nehemiah. What do you mean, irks him? Well, Nehemiah confronted these men and physically assaulted them. So when he sees these men, he's confronting them about their sin, but he's not just confronting them. The text tells you that he's pulling their hair out. I mean, that's physically assaulting them. Now, how could he do that? Well, I mean, he is the governor. He's probably got a bodyguard there. What are they going to do? But he's telling them that they've done wrong, okay, that they've done wrong. He made them swear by the Lord not to intermarry with the nations as he confronted them. Basically, they had to give up their wives. Give up their wives. That's the reality. Give up their wives and their children. We've seen this happen once before. Where? With Ezra. This has been from the time that they came back from Babylon. This seems to be a continuing issue with the Jewish people with this whole intermarrying with the nations. He drove away also the grandson of the high priest who had married Sambalat's daughter. Remember Sambalat the Horonite? He was the one who was opposed to the rebuilding of the wall. Well, his daughter, the grandson of the high priest, marries his daughter. So the text tells us that Nehemiah does something about this. He drives him away. What does that mean? He throws him out. Literally throws him out. Where did he end up going? He ended up going back to Samaria. And it is said that when Sam Ballad, history shows us, built a temple to the Samaritans, remember the question that the Samaritan woman asked Jesus, you Jews say you should worship on this, on that mountain in Jerusalem where ours say worship in this temple here in Samaria. Sam Ballad is the one who had that temple built. And the one who instituted the worship at that temple was this grandson of the high priest at this time, who was driven out by Nehemiah? So, Nehemiah, in the conclusion of his book, prayed that God would remember their sin because they defiled the priesthood. He's praying, God, remember what they've done wrong. They've defiled your priesthood. But that's not all he prayed. Nehemiah also prayed that he had cleansed the priests and the Levites of everything pagan. So he's saying, God, remember me because I'm the one who cleansed them of the things that were wrong. I'm the one who's done that. And so then what does he do? He concludes with this. He asks God to remember him for the good that he had done. God, remember me for the good that I have done. And that brings us, my friends, to the end of the book of Nehemiah. Now next week, we're going to get into the book of Esther and again we're going to now move from Jerusalem but we're going to move now to the capital of the Medo-Persian empire because that is the setting of where we see everything happening with Esther is in the capital in Sushan with regards to her and her efforts for the Jewish people.